From DLA Piper, this is the Beyond the Curve podcast. In this episode, DLA Piper's Tom Era talks with Hollywood film and television producer David Broom about challenges and opportunities facing the entertainment industry during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, I'm Tom Ara, co-chair of DLA Piper's Entertainment Transactional and Finance Practice. I'm joined today by prominent Hollywood film and television producer, and my good friend and client, David Broom. We're going to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on his business and how he sees his projects emerging in the aftermath. But before we jump into our discussion, I want to tell you a little bit about Dave. Dave is the president of 25-7 Productions one of a few remaining independent production companies producing unscripted shows of the magnitude that they make. Dave is the creator and executive producer of The Biggest Loser, which ran on NBC for a decade and a format sold around the world. He created and produced Netflix's very first reality series, The Ultimate Beastmaster, with Sylvester Stallone, which has three seasons under its belt. His domestic and international documentary series, The Day I Met El Chapo, the Kate Del Castillo story with Sean Penn, was a domestic and international smash for Netflix. He currently has projects with many of the major networks and streaming services, and has also written a hip-hop musical feature for Netflix that he is producing, along with Will Smith and Queen Latifah. Dave's company and some of his projects have been directly impacted by COVID-19 and the pandemic, and at least one of his productions has been halted pending the go-ahead from state and local officials, as well as entertainment guilds, that production can resume. Dave, welcome. Tom, good to be with you. Let's begin with how your life has changed since the pandemic, and then we can talk about the direct impact you've seen on your business. My life, I think I'm putting on a lot of weight because I'm eating every five minutes. I feel like I'm dipping into the refrigerator for something. I'm trying to work it off. So I've definitely put the COVID-19 on personally. On a serious note, obviously we're dealing with something that is just shocking and sad in many, many ways. It's hard at this point to stay enthusiastic but we have to. And I feel fortunate. I'm lucky that I'm not in a situation where I'm financially, personally in a bad place while so many people are. And that is very tough to see. And I understand looking at everything across the country where there's so much angst to get going. But as an industry right now, I personally think that we're a ways off. Even though things are starting to open right now, I think as you and I talk the next however long we're going to spend time together here, we're going to see that there's still a lot of issues that need to be worked through. Mm -hmm. Well, let's begin with the impact this has had directly on some of the projects that you've had either at the development phase or frankly right in production and how you've been dealing with those. Tell us a little bit about what impact directly it's had at this point for you. Sure. Well, like everyone, things came to a grinding halt. Everything shut down. Now, we were in the middle of filming a new Netflix series that we've yet to announce. That was the one that we were actually in full-blown production on at the time. We got two episodes in the can and then stopped. And when we stopped, we really thought back then in March, we'll stop for a week, see what happens, and just get everybody to feel comfortable, figure it out, and we'll be right back up and running. I mean, literally, those were the conversations that we were having. Little did we know. 
And that show in particular, that series, takes place in front of a live audience. So while it's an intimate crowd, it's not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people or thousands. I still was filming in around 125 people. So as far as production, everything stopped. And we can get into how and when that will hopefully pick back up. As far as all of the other shows that were about to be in production, those have obviously changed and shifted. And now we're also looking at potentially having to shift creative. So even though I may have sold a series, I'll give you a good example. I have a series that's going to take place in prisons in another state, four different prisons. And if you want to talk about the precautions of having to film in a prison to begin with, and now having to film in a prison post-COVID-19, it's a whole set of different challenges. So we're having to look at different creative and different creative solutions. On the plus side, just to give a good positive before I let you ask the next question, we are doing video conferencing calls and actually selling projects. So people are trying to conduct business from a development side, let's say, while Mm -hmm. we're going through this. Because at some point, let's face it, we need to put stuff on the air. So we are moving forward with that. So that's kind of like the broad picture scope. Okay, well, let's put a pin in that because I do want to come back to that as I think it's going to be a nice segue into where things are going. But in terms of the projects that have come to a stop at this point, without revealing who exactly was involved in the discussions or the process. Tell me a little bit about how the communications have been with your producing or financing partners, whether it be a studio or streaming service. How regular are those and what types of discussions are there? Are there parameters being discussed about how things will look going back? Are there discussions about financial and other impacts on your current productions and any other details you can share without revealing too much? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, at first, again, I think we are all thinking that this was going to be a real temporary stop down. And when I say temporary, I mean, I really think that we were planning to be back up and running in two weeks. And this is back in mid-March, I'm going to say. And those were the conversations that I was having with the streamer and the executives. We're like, oh yeah, okay, let's stop, figure this out. Kind of thought it was just going to blow over in a way. We would be able to take whatever precautions we needed to take. It just, things were just starting to mushroom. So we weren't in the early days of this thinking that we were going to be down for months and months and months. So the early communication was pretty regular on the shows. Mm -hmm. Then we started to shift and say, okay, look, this is a big pause button now. Hit the big red pause because that's what's taking place. And when that happens, There are all kinds of things that need to take place as far as production goes. There are huge financial implications to a stop down. We've got a crew Mm -hmm. that's obviously hired. We've got equipment rentals. We've got talent. In this particular production, I have big name talent that's attached to it, which pose other issues that we can get into. But there are so many checklists that have to get really just gone by one by one by one by one to figure this out. It's not just, okay, stop down and we'll figure this back out when we go up and running again. 
there's a lot of money that rides on the line for each one of these productions. So a stop down is a huge financial burden to whoever and everybody. So we are now, just now, on this particular production, starting to think about, okay, what does it look like up and running again? How do we make creative changes to get it up and running again? How do we get it up and running again? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of issues between the crew, cast, talent. I think we're going to be able to figure out proper protocols to do the best practices we can to make sure everyone is as safe as possible. I want to pick up on a point you made about the broader impact that this has on every element of the very complicated structure of any production, which is you've got locations, you've got cash, you have crew, you have so many moving parts and all these pieces have their own complications to them because talent have other obligations that are scheduled in the not so distant future. Locations have other commitments to other parties. Now, one positive thing in a sense, if you can view it that way, is that we're all affected the same way by this. It's not specific to California, to LA, or just the entertainment business. The pandemic hit everybody the same and everybody shut down. And so there's been a technical pause of everything. But with that said, what complications are you seeing with talent you may have booked or locations or crews or other things in terms of their next project that might be scheduled for June or July or a location that's committed to another event or something coming up and you're being able to resume immediately after a reopening? Look, it's a great question and it's something that I've actually talked about with a bunch of friends and colleagues because if we were in our own bubble, and here's my belief that'll end up hopefully coming true, is that if we were just in our own little bubble and my own production got pushed, we got delayed, we were dealing with our own issue, then I would be in a real panic about losing my talent or losing the location or losing the crew. But because everyone and everything is affected, my hope is that we're going to do one big massive industry slide. Everything just shifts down. Now, obviously, that's not going to be the case. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces on this giant chess game. But everyone, as you said, is in the same boat. So my talent that might have been starting a new movie that was coming up in June, obviously that's not getting going. So that's sliding down. So these windows mm -hmm. will hopefully open up where I think we're going to run into just a tremendous amount of jamming up is in studio space and everybody just clamoring to get going. And it will be a log jam, I think, for a while. But networks and studios are going to first, I believe, have to take care and put priority to the projects that are already in production. Sure. Understood. That makes sense. Before we move on to reopening, let's talk about some of the silver linings of quarantining and the pandemic, if there are any. And one of those that you and I have talked about has been the ability to just hunker down and for a creative like yourself, write and think about creative ideas and as I mentioned earlier, you've got your first feature project that you've written that 
is very exciting that we'll hopefully get going soon with Queen Latifah and Will Smith, the hip hop musical project. As a creative, how's this been a period of productivity for you? And then among your creative friends, what have you seen happening with creatives? Yeah. Look, I think one of the good things that we're seeing in our industry and probably outside of entertainment is that we could be pretty effective and productive in our homes. I don't dig the video calls, to be honest. I feel like I like to work a room. <laughs> I like to get up right. and be animated when I'm doing a pitch. And I like to get people excited and sitting down in front of a computer monitor and trying to strap myself in. I don't like. But outside of that, I'm finding that I'm getting a lot of stuff creatively done. I'm writing my third script right now, and that's good. I'm not getting phone calls every second that's ringing off the hook on issues, production issues. I mean, obviously business is moving, but when you're an executive producer and you're the creator and running shows and you're running a production company, you have to deal with things, obviously the way a business person would deal with things. You're running a company. So it's not just creative Mm -hmm. all the time, but when that company is in essence closed down and shut down, I'm not dealing with, I don't want to say the petty things of running day-to-day operation, but in a way they are. And now I'm able to concentrate more on creative. So that has been a bit of a blessing that way. And I'm getting a lot done. All right. Well, listen, let's move on to what getting back to business is going to look like. And there's obviously been a lot written and spoken about what reopening looks like, both from Hollywood, as well as our elected officials, the governor and local officials and even higher up. Tell me a little bit about what you're hearing and what you're seeing in terms of what reopening of the entertainment business for you will look like, your productions and what's in the pipeline. Well, talking to my colleagues and studio executives and networks right now as we sit here, the start of production is happening. The pre-production conversations are now taking place. We've moved into that phase. Remember, for us in production, you can say, okay, let's flip the switch. We can start to get going again, whatever that really means. But in the world of production, that means that, well, okay, we need to do pre-production again. We have to start over in a way. Mm -hmm. We've got to get bodies in place. We need to get hiring going. We need to figure out, obviously, we're going to deal with the protocols now and how we're going to actually have that happening on sets. That's very interesting. So even on a project you were in production on, you're kind of going to a mini pre-production phase again Have to. to go back into production. That's right. Interesting. Okay. Because what's really going on is, remember, shows, depending on your set, let's say, you may have actually struck the set. In other words, you may have taken the set down. You may have built a set mm-hmm. on your location and then come to the realization that your set rentals, the weekly cost to have all those set pieces there mm-hmm. living where they're living, it's cheaper to pull them down, take your lighting down, take your grids down. There's a lot of infrastructure into production that people don't even realize. It's like, yeah, well, what about our lights? Oh, yeah, just leave them. no. Maybe not. That's not the case. We had lighting grids up, for example, and you have to pull the lights down. We have to pull the equipment out, audio equipment. All Mm. that stuff has to go away and back in. And that means that the pre-production has to come back out. So the talk about getting stuff going again, which is where we are right now, is great. We'll enter a pre-production phase and then 
actually a production phase. So that's where we're at right now. How things are going to change. Look, I have several shows that not only had travel that was going to take place internationally creatively, but also domestically, where I was going to be doing things on the road from city to city, town to town. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we're going to do some of that stuff. I don't know how talent is going to want to get onto a commercial airplane and do that. And now you go, okay, well, maybe do we fly talent on private? Okay, great. What's that cost? So those are the kinds of things that when you start to really dive in that you don't even think about on the surface. You go, oh, yeah, my God. That's right. Are people going to be feeling comfortable enough to travel around the country to make television shows or films and move from location to location on commercial jets? Right. Where you've initially budgeted for that. So rebudgeting is going to have to take place in this new world. And I presume some of that rebudgeting will also include all the safety measures, right, that must be implemented, whether right. it's PPE or how you handle craft services or how you handle distancing and how many folks come on set at any given time, which may delay things, right? Right. Well, obviously, these are the talks with the networks and studios, but also the unions. So one of the things that we're right now dealing with is, are we dropping down from 12-hour days to 10-hour days? Are we dropping from 10-hour days to 8-hour days? Are we dropping with the number of crew that we're going to actually make these shows with? And if that's the case, are the unions going to sit there and try and say, look, you can drop the number of bodies on set, but you need to pay for the original number of people that you had and have them sitting on the sideline. So it's really interesting when you start to think about the things that you really don't think about on the surface when you go, let's start production back up. But these are the things that we're right. getting into now. So it's ours. It's so much more than the protocols. It obviously has to start with how to create the safest set and the safest environment for everybody. Because at the end of the day, the television shows or films mean nothing. It's about dealing with people's lives and their safety. And that has to be the first consideration. And then when we get beyond that, it's okay, now let's do the deep dive into these other aspects of hours on a set. I'm not worried about serving people box lunches because we can't have everybody at a crafty table dipping their hands into bags of M&Ms that are out there opening up. That's fine. My favorite part of the craft table, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of course, mine too. But it's these things that we're talking about. It's like how many bodies, how many hours, who gets paid, who sits on the sideline, and then some of the things that I'm hearing and dealing with are I've got a friend who's making a show right now for a network that they're about to start up in supposedly about three weeks from now. So that's going to put us in around third week in June, roughly, let's say second week in June. And they are taking their crew and their cast to a area that is going to be 100% quarantined. Everyone is moving on to this location and they're not leaving that location for six weeks. So they're there. That's crew. They're talking about you could have 150, 200 people having to stay and be willing to be away from their families for a month and a half to make a television series where their temperature is going to be checked every day, where they're going to be brought to and forth back from a location that's 
shut down to another location that's shut down, closed mm-hmm. set. So those are the things that are happening and that's the way this is changing right now. It's an important point because those types of modifications that you just described come at a cost. And that's right. not every production, whether it be film or television, can withstand that cost or tolerate that cost. So do you see that for lower budget productions and maybe in some cases of unscripted programs, they might fall in that category or even films that are lower budget, that it will be some time before we see those shows restarting because the budgets just don't tolerate that level of expense? Look, no budget, no budget, and I'm going to say zero is the number, is going to stay intact from prior to the shutdown. Mm -hmm. It can't. Every single budget on every single production, in my opinion, is going to have to be looked at and modified. Because just think about it, at the very basics, just to get a cast or crew checked every day or what has to be put onto the set every day, those costs were never put into the original budget. Transporting, as I'm saying, a crew needs to be looked at differently and budgeted differently. So a small production with a smaller crew, to answer your question, while no way that budget is going to be able to consume what the additional costs are, but maybe it's more attractive and easier to get going because we're not dealing with 150 or look, some of my big productions have more than 200 crew members. Some of my smaller productions, if I'm making a documentary, which I am right now, I can have five or six people filming a doc. And I can deal with that very differently while I still need to look at the things that we've spoken about here. But still, handling a smaller production and a smaller group of people, I think will be easier than going with these massive scale productions. I think. I don't know, but I think. Easier to manage, right. I think so. At first, at least the one thing we can do with it is it's a good dip your toe into the water thing where you can say, look, let's see how it goes on a smaller production so we can learn from that a bit and then adjust accordingly and step up and scale to bigger shows and bigger films. Well, listen, I think we could probably talk for hours on hours on the various issues and topics like this resulting from the pandemic. But I'd like to maybe shift now to what you think has changed permanently or maybe even temporarily in the business post-pandemic and not really just focused on how production will change, but how's the business changed? Of course, we've seen mass consumption of content on streaming services, but what other things do you think have changed and will change and which of those will be permanent and which of those are maybe temporary shifts in habits or trends? Well, I think the amount of content that's being consumed right now is astronomical. The streamers are crushing it. Some of the network numbers right now are the highest for some of the shows that they've been in a long time. We're at home. We want the distraction. We want to be entertained. 
And I think that it's great because it's hooking audiences into shows. And not just now, but when you hook an audience into a season of something now or film, but let's just talk about television for one second, in a series, you now have a captive audience that you're hopefully going to build to season two or season three or season four. So the effect of everybody being home is very good for shows that are seeing all-time high numbers. The COVID-19 kind of content that you're seeing, the quarantine stuff, the self-shot, of course, late night coming from home, that is going to go away, in my opinion, as soon as we can get up and running. It's not like anyone is looking to make shows forever from their home, but there is some ingenuity that's coming out of this. There's some technological ingenuity that's coming out of this. When you're watching the Today Show in day one, when I saw either Al Roker maybe on his kitchen table giving us the weather to where they are right now, weeks later, it looks like he's in a studio. Right, so right. I always look at this stuff and sit there and go, God bless these engineers. They're amazing. The people who are actually putting this together, it's a lot harder than anybody actually ever realizes. The public really doesn't understand what necessarily goes into pulling this stuff off. So that stuff is amazing. Look, I think the interesting unknown, Tom, is the theatrical business. Where do we see ourselves in a movie theater, in a seat in there. What does that business look like? We're seeing films now that are going straight to, let's say, a Netflix that are doing big numbers. And we're now getting used to seeing these huge theatrical releases that are now coming into our living room immediately. So that's going to be the interesting thing out of all of this. We'll get back as far as regular television goes. We'll get our creative going again. People will be watching things the way they were watching them, I believe, in a bigger way. Well, that's definitely very interesting. So do you see that serialized content will continue to grow at the pace that it was growing pre-pandemic? And we were seeing year-on-year increases on the number of episodic shows I think John Langraff was keeping track of those every year. They would issue a report on how many new serialized shows were being produced. Do you see that trend continuing? Well, I mean, I would say in its own vacuum, potentially yes, because the numbers and the ratings are showing that. But on the flip side, going back to the other side of the equation of if networks and studios are going to have to pick up costs that they didn't typically have pre-COVID-19, are they going to still be able to have the budgets to add additional series, even though the demand might be there? Again, we can go back into some of the network business that's still traditional in its advertising revenue. What's going to happen there? Are they going to get higher advertising rates that could account for some of these other costs that could then lead to future serialized series getting picked up and expanded on. It's not just one thing, in my opinion. It's not just, hey, a lot of people are watching shows now. Let's keep on feeding it to them. Of course, that's what you want. But the other side of the economics has to be factored in that weren't there. These other things that we've been talking about this whole podcast have to now be thought about. But look, again, to be really positive, as a creator, as a producer, as a consumer of content, I'm loving the ability to sit at home and 
get just entrenched into these shows or films. I mean, I love it. And by the way, I'll just tell you something interesting. Not only am I finding myself looking at what just came out, I'm going back and watching like Groundhog's Day. And mm -hmm. I watched Hitch the other night. I should tell Will. I don't even know. I'm finding myself just looking at like- And you're willing to admit that. Yeah, I, I kind of am. <laughs> I'm a softie at heart. But that just shows you. I mean, I'm finding myself in just an interesting mood to go- let me just go a throwback, too, because I have that time. Right. Well, absolutely. And I think that we've been reading stories in the last few weeks of companies that have these libraries of great content, but that are maybe not current, mining them because there's been renewed interest, not just from viewers wanting to see great content and maybe they haven't seen it before because they've been so entrenched in watching the plethora of content on these streaming services but having the opportunity to discover an old show or an old film so we're seeing quite a bit of that and of course interest now from these studios and networks to remake a lot of those into new properties so it's very interesting there's an opportunity that's coming out of this if you look at some of these shows or titles that would have looked to be dinosaurs, long in the tooth, never coming back. Sure. But now you have, wow, people are really into that. They never even knew that existed. Come on, let's make the modern version or the new version of that now. And, and look, there's also talk about bubble shows that maybe in a typical year would be absolutely canned and not coming back. But because we're in a place right now where pilots – aren't necessarily being made. We don't have a upfronts period that it might be safer to sit there and go, let's pick up the show that we've had on our air that's on the bubble and may have been canned. Let's give it a chance. So some of these shows are going to see opportunity that they might not have normally had pre-COVID-19. So now right. the downside to that is if you had a new project that you were hoping to get on, you might not get that opportunity or might be a slimmer chance that you get that opportunity. So again, this is the interesting conversation about new projects and how do they get going and is it easier for us to just to pick up what we know we've got and that we can sell to advertisers. So really interesting stuff. Well, and I want to end on the positive note of opportunities since we're talking about opportunities. What are some of the opportunities as a producer you see for your business, for film and television production, and how do you see those playing out? Well, on my reality side of my business, which is my bread and butter, I think Unscripted is going to have a very good opportunity to have more content, believe it or not, in the unscripted world than we already have. Because I think that it will be easier. It's always been easier and faster for the most part than a scripted series mm -hmm. and less expensive typically than a scripted. But now just think about the challenges of having in the scripted world a series that has a celebrity stars that are going to want to go out and work and are willing to work, and certainly some people will, but how are they going to craft those 
intimate scenes? How are you going to put people together like that? I mean, how do I have a love scene? How do I have a kissing scene? How do you hug another person where you need to in a scripted show? And potentially in an unscripted show that doesn't need that and doesn't call for that, doesn't have the kinds of talent attached, we might be able to get them up and running because of the creative being so different and because of the production being so different. So I think there's going to be opportunity in the unscripted world that will come immediately after this. Of course, the appetite for scripted television is huge. And we're seeing scripted television is experiencing such an amazing heyday right now. The content, the quality of the content, the storylines, the talent that's doing it. It's amazing. People who you would never think that would be on television before because they were movie stars are now making television series because the productions are so great and the storylines are so great. So it will come back, of course. But I think the immediate opportunity might be for unscripted television to get up and running quicker. And for us, I think that's a good thing from that side of my business. Very interesting. Well, as with most of the conversations you and I have, I think this could probably go on for much longer than the time we have here. But I really do appreciate you're spending the time with us to talk about your business and the impacts that you've encountered with this unprecedented event. And we obviously wish you and your company the best and know that the future hopefully holds very positive things for you and everyone else in our industry. So thank you again for joining us today. I appreciate it, Tom. And thanks. And I just wanted to say that the real thanks to all of our people around this country, our healthcare workers who are really the unsung heroes busting their butts every day in the hospitals doing things to keep everybody safe. It's really inspiring and it's what makes this country so great. Indeed, and hopefully great storytellers like you will tell the stories of those heroes in the months and years to come. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to DLA Piper's Beyond the Curve podcast. This podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship between the firm and listener. All information, content, and materials discussed are for general informational purposes only. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Views expressed by guests are their own. 